Alright, hello everyone and welcome back to the Good, the Bad, and the Boys podcast. We have a very special episode today as the boys introduce our first guest. Somehow. <laughs> He's a concept artist and an illustrator. He's worked on games such as Skull Monkeys, as well as the topic of today's discussion, Fallout New Vegas. He's worked on games, commercials, you name it. Talented artist and a super cool dude for coming on the show. Please give a round of applause, and I'll know if you don't, for Joe Sanabria. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you guys? Doing pretty good. Nice to finally meet good. you in the weird 2020 COVID version of in person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> nice, but hello. Welcome to our Zoom meeting. <laughs> so, yeah, we were just going to have a quick talk about, you know, your time working on New Vegas, just your experience as an artist thus far, and mm-hmm. just where you see the future of that going. Sure. Sounds good. All righty. Sounds sweet. Well, glad to have you here. I guess we'll just get started. Uh, I'd say tell us a little bit about yourself, but we kind of stalked you over the course of this week to prepare for this. So <laughs> yeah. would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, just how you got into the, the craft and what made you want to become an artist? Sure. Um, basically, I'm from upstate New York. Uh, I went to school at SUNY Albany, uh, where I was a physics major. And uh, they have a, an art program, an art department there. So uh, I thought it might be cool to perhaps take some art classes because I, I never had that uh, really um, available, specifically photography that was back then. And uh, uh, I started taking a few courses here and there and um, kind of by the encouragement of a friend of mine, I guess I never really considered myself a, a true artist. And um, eventually... Uh, that led to uh, an internship at, with one of the ex-professors, and uh, I also was a little frustrated with school, so I, I dropped out just because I really didn't feel like I was getting uh, the type of uh, instruction that I was after. Uh, this is when, and it still is the case, I, I think in many uh, course um, programs, uh, abstract art uh, is really the, the, the mainstay representational art, which is what I was more interested in illustration, that sort of thing, was not really part of that program. And I realized I, I wasn't in the right place for that. So <clears throat> I started going to the library and just learning a bunch of stuff on my own. Oh, nice. And so that kind of le- was the path that I took of mostly self-taught, relying on books, relying on whatever I could find. And uh, when I eventually made it out here to California, um, I was lucky enough where one of my roommates or a couple of my roommates were working uh, at a game studio. They had um, gone to art school and they had more of a formal training. And uh, through them, I got to meet some of the folks at the game studio and the, one of the, the folks there, uh, Philip, uh, by the name of Mike Dietz, was the animation director. He shared uh, with me a few of the animation uh, lessons uh, that he had taken uh, uh, because his background was illustration from uh, Syracuse. So I took those lessons and just did them by myself on my own time and would show up every once in a while and uh, shoot pencil tests. So that's essentially cell animation, like traditional Disney old school. Uh, you, you animate on paper and then you shoot them on a special camera with this like top down and then you can play back your, your animation. And so started doing that. Uh, 
during my downtime at work. It was a slow period of, because you know, usually it'd be uh, seasonal. I was working at a, a commercial photo lab. So we would do a lot of trade shows and a lot of professional photographers uh, work. And oddly enough, that uh, uh, happened to just open up the opportunity where they needed some help. This was on uh, the Neverhood Chronicles. And I had just ramped up enough of my animation skills where I was able to uh, get a, a contract for about three weeks to do some in-betweening. And so in-betweening is, for those folks who don't know, is the head animator or the supervising animator will just do the extreme poses. And the in-betweener is more of like an apprentice role where you do all the drawings in between. So uh, and maybe like in a five second sequence, there might be like 30 drawings. And so you, then you have to do all the other drawings. And, and typically there's uh, about 12 drawings for each second uh, that oh, wow. you see of animation. So it was a lot of late nights. I would work during the daytime and show up in the afternoon and just work till about one o'clock and two o'clock in the morning. And um, I was luckily uh, able to impress them. And that three week contract got extended to eventually I was there for three years. Oh, wow. And uh, nice. during that time, I got to do uh, game design, uh, obviously animation stuff. Uh, backgrounds and eventually got promoted to a producer and so from there I went to a studio named Angel Studios uh, which became Rockstar and um, and I worked at a few other studios and uh, how I ended up on uh, New Vegas on Fallout um, the studio I was at closed down and I reached out uh, to Fergus uh, who's uh, the the head of the studio at Obsidian and just showed him some of the work that I had been doing. And uh, I got an interview with him a couple of days later and he offered me a position and uh, I was working as a, a technical artist uh, on Aliens, the RPG. Oh, wow. Well. And uh, eventually got promoted to lead technical artist on that. And uh, unfortunately the project didn't go that well. Um, and got canceled. And so on the day that I thought I was getting laid off, uh, because he asked to see me that afternoon, which usually it's not a, a good sign when the, the head of the studio wants to yeah, talk to you. It never sounds good. Yeah. It never sounds good. Yeah. So I was yeah. going in and expecting that I was getting laid off and actually I was getting promoted. They were going to make me art director for the uh, new Fallout game. Oh, and wow. so that was a surprise to me because I didn't realize we were even in discussions to talk to them about that. And so they had just signed a deal. And um, so from there, it was basically just uh, a, basically a, a wild a train ride where it's like every day where it's new destination, new things, new challenges. It, there was really no ramp up time. It was just like, go, you know? And, uh, um, you know, I think it was a, a year and a half, uh, which is not a very long time. And that includes also the, um, the G, uh, the DLCs, the download uh, content. Um, so uh, really the main game was done in, in about a year's time, which typically, especially that scale of game, uh, particularly if you're starting from scratch, it's, you know, in the neighborhood from three to five years, but obviously we didn't have to start from scratch. Uh, the content needed to be from scratch in terms of like the narrative, the story, the quests and stuff like that, but there's a lot of assets already to to work with. So, 
Yeah, we understand the engine they used to run it on was the previous one from Fallout 3. So they were able to just yeah. take what you guys did and put it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most most of the, the engine goes back many years, in fact. So it's what they used to create Morrowind, Oblivion. Uh, so it was a very uh, well-established code base. Uh, so in other words... We knew what it could do and it couldn't do. Uh, in, in the end, we did. Uh, but like I said, there's really no ramp up time. So essentially, we're just given the editor and uh, a big drop of the code. And it was up to us to just kind of work it out. So in a way, for the first few months, we're almost like modders where we were, we had the same documentation as anybody else did. So we just had to figure things out. Um, but luckily, you know, a lot of us had uh, quite a bit of experience with game development with different engines. And so it was just a matter of just um, trying to figure out how this one particular engine handled things. But we, uh, you know, many of us knew exactly how th- uh, game engines work. Each one has their own uh, uniqueness. But uh, when, when you kind of pull back further enough, then you can kind of get an understanding of you kind of know how things work underneath the, the hood. Okay, nice. And did you work, uh, you said you ended up there, were you brought on more by Obsidian or, or Bethesda when you were? On the project, you mean? Yeah, on the New Vegas project. Yeah, that was that was uh, Fergus's call, and that's Obsidian. So basically the way it generally works is um, uh, when a publisher, and Bethesda in this case, signs a deal with the developer, Obsidian, uh, Obsidian or the developer, they determine who's going to get put assigned on the project and how exactly that works. Um, so, yeah, especially in a case like with Obsidian where you have multiple teams within one company and some others that are smaller, they are, that's it. There's no, whoever signed on, that's exactly who's going to be working on. So, Okay, nice. So, yeah, you really hit the Got ground it. running on that one, especially... Yeah, yeah. The journey of networking and yeah, with your, your friends' support too at the beginning to kind of launch your career. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it was very unique. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and um, yeah, so yeah, kind of going back to your like design on things and um, just kind of like seeing your portfolio and gallery. You you kind of um, yeah, you have like a lot of great character and environment designs on your page, which is really cool. It's kind of like a lot of high fantasy kind of cyberpunk-esque atmospheres like do you have like a favorite setting you you've like uh, um created so far or that type um i i tend to ping pong between fantasy and uh sci-fi stuff and both of them i try to really cement it on on reality and use that as a springboard so in the fantasy stuff i really like ancient civilizations and Shows like um, uh, Ex- Exploring the Unknown or Expedition Unknown, you know, with Josh Gates, where you know they're, they're just looking at this stuff and trying to understand like what what happened with these civilizations. Uh, we only see like fragments of the past. Uh, and then with sci-fi, obviously, because I had a uh, science background, I've, and I've always been interested on in that, like how things might be in the future, how the t- the technology we're developing today will manifest itself in the future and how it implicates uh, other uh, tracks of life that aren't directly related to that. So 
uh, and all those, that's what's fun for me as a concept artist is to imagine that part that isn't known yet. And then essentially what, you know, game design is really all about is coming up a what if, and then putting your spin on that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that works kind of well in, in, a, in kind of like a fallout setting. Oh yeah. Like kind of the past, yeah. you know, what human, if, and the human, the, yeah. Yeah, all the lost. What if and yeah, the lost relics of time. The lost relics of so, yeah. them from one point to another. That sounds fun. Was it a challenge to go from like your usual style to that more get the fallout setting? It's very satirical, kind of in the visuals of it with Fall Boy and the just the perspectives on war and stuff that they have. What was it what was it like going from your usual style to sort of that kind of setting? Was it different? Was it challenging? How much like creative um, liberties were you afforded there? Well, no, it, I don't think it was. Uh, and I definitely p- put my own stamp on it. And uh, so, you know, at the very beginning, obviously the main challenge was, look, how do these things work? So it wasn't necessarily what should it look like? It's like, well, how do we make a character run? How do we put it in our new suit? And like, mm. So before you even have to worry about what the should uh, the suit should look like you have to figure out how do you how do you get them in the game and so there is uh, more of a technical uh, barrier that you're trying to get over uh, as things start to get into the game and we start understanding all the different systems then it started becoming more critical like how do we actually make things work and so it was a, a bit of a transition there uh, so when we developed the game we we started out in the wastelands because those were uh, in, in a sense, uh, more of, of the same of what you've seen in the previous games uh, with one distinct, distinctive difference. And this is where I kind of put my uh, spin on it. Uh, I've always been really fascinated with light and color and trying to make things feel like uh, they are reacting to light and uh, the weather and the different times of day feel like they do in real life. So whether it's a fictitious uh, world or not, it still behaves under the properties of physics. So uh, one of the things that was very distinctly different was that it was uh, a much richer uh, palette in terms of uh, the sky and and the color. And that was one of the first things that they wanted to know. It's like, how were we going to make things different? Uh, And that was my first uh, challenge, which I had, I think, two days after I got assigned to the project because the VP of development was coming down. And so he was coming down to meet the, the leads on the project and to find out what's our game plan. So I didn't really have a lot of time to say here, how the characters are going to look and our destinations. Um, but I, one thing I didn't knew at the time was, okay, how different the light is in this part of the world versus that part. So uh, having been born and raised in, in uh, upstate New York, and spent most of my life there and moving out here, I knew there was one big difference and that's the sky and the light. And that's why Hollywood uh, essentially got creative is because we have great light. Uh, the area that I live here, Laguna Beach, it's an artist town and a lot of artists came from Europe. They were drawn by uh, this area because it's kind of rep- has the same lighting as the Southern France does. So rich blue skies, lots of sunlight all the time. And as a result, things look uh, different here. And so that's what we did was uh, I, I got rid of all that mucky green uh, brown stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the artists at first were like, we don't like this. This isn't fine. I go, well, that's that's your opinion. And I said, my opinion is that it needs to be different. 
And um, it wasn't just purely a personal aesthetic thing. It was also because that's the cheapest way we can make it look different. So obviously from an aesthetic standpoint, yeah, it's cool. It looks different, but from a, for production, for VPs, executives, they want to know like, how are you making it different and how can we do this? So it's not so expensive. So that's the easiest way. And I could uh, really manage uh, or art direct, I should say, because I would have, you know, 20 to 50 people working in an environment, creating assets and doing all these things. How do I unify all that? Well, the, uh, just like in a painting, you can do a glaze. So it's a transparent layer of, of paint and it unifies all those different colors. And that's essentially what light does as well too. So, and there's just more to that than just light. There's a lot of post effects in, inside the engine, which is similar to putting a filter onto a camera, just like a cinematographer does. So that way they can color grade a movie. So even though it's been shot in different times, they can make it seem like it's one continuous shot, even though in reality, it's probably been shot over three days where the light kind of changed a little bit. Okay, nice. Yeah, I certainly noticed yeah. it's warmer than like the previous Fallout games. Uh, it looks yeah. almost mm-hmm. equally parts like Definitely. Western as it does an Apocalypse game, as opposed to, I think it was one or two. The setting was DC. Like you said, it was very like green and gray. It looked like a, like a Terminator movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's how it is back there. It's like, it's gray most of the time. Uh, when I first moved yeah. out here, I used to get sunburned like crazy because I just to think like, <laughs> I'm not going to get sunburned. And it's like, whoa, it's, yeah, it's much different here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I and like, I love, love the attention to detail, some of the physics, like even the light pollution. I, I saw that a little bit of that detail. Yeah, really, really great, great stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good details. Yeah. So yeah, once we got later on in a project, once it came to the strip, that's when we really had to like focus on how do we make things look different. And then by that point, it was a, it was still a challenge because, and I tell this to my students, I teach now at a local college and um, I hadn't really done environments. So when you're talking about like, was it a hard transition? Yeah, it was freaking hard because before that I don't had drawn characters. I'd done environment stuff every once in a while, but it was just for my own purposes. And so in 3D, I would, you know, flush them out some more. But in terms of creating concept art for a team and to direct them, I had to really ramp up as as uh, things were working. So essentially, a, a good analogy would be is like we have a train that's moving and we're laying the track. So I'm learning how to. Uh, do civil engineering, how to, you know, uh, cut through mountains and how, how to engineer the tracks, like as, as we're moving forward with not much uh, lead time. So uh, thankfully, uh, I was able to do a, a decent enough job at the time. But it also sh- uh, opened up a, an opportunity, a new phase of my career, which was doing concept art uh, as, a, as a focus, because before I'd done uh, animation, then characters, uh, 3D characters, that is, uh, 3D environments. Then I started doing technical art, which is basically more like programming than, than anything else. And you work with the programmers to try and figure out how to get the art into the game and, and the tools that the engineers are, are making for the artists. Um, and so this was the first time I was really painting things that were going to then be made or designing them. Uh, purely on the aesthetics, you know? So it was, it was definitely a huge challenge, but once we got to the DLCs, a lot of that pressure was off because the game was already financially successful with pre-order sales. Um, the reception was pretty positive. 
So we knew, okay, we've, we've, we have a little breathing room now. We had all of our processes in terms of production, the way we tasked things out, the way people build things. So now I had a little bit more um, opportunity to experiment. And we also could extrapolate that across the team. They could, they could pitch their own ideas and it, uh, there wasn't really um, as many rules because with the DLCs, each one can be pretty uh, wacky and different uh, because it's, it's meant to be a whole different experience, not part of the main game. So there's a little bit more artistic license there. Nice. Yeah, those ones yeah, are definitely great, a little yeah. more wilder in design than the base games like ghosts and shit running around. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, and visually, it, the game comes together really nice like with the themes of it as opposed to the first two where it's very just much about war and stuff. This one, like you said, is also kind of a Western and the theme of greed comes up a lot as in uh, since it is Sin City. Uh, how much, I guess, collaboration did you have with like the quest design and the writing department um did you take any of that into it like how much of that did you two did you all put together when you were making the visuals that it because it all fit together so well as you right, had to right. work well, together yeah i mean yeah. part of the consistency there is that the senior leads or the directors were on all of those so even though with the dlcs we had different teams so we had one group at one time we had three dlcs working in at the same time and so uh, each group would be kind of a different makeup, so to speak. And so that's why each one has a very dis different kind of um, narrative or, or uh, 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 I guess, arc. Uh, but it was, you know, it's the same art director on all, all of those, the same uh, lead uh, or project director and the same technical director. Um, now, as far as how well did it work, it, it was, it was, in all honesty, it was a back and forth. And, and at times they were unhappy with us. And at times we were unhappy with them in terms of the artists and the narrative designers. Um, because, in, uh, and this is just a, a nature of the beast here, uh, we have to plan things out in terms of, even from uh, on the designer side, but especially on the art side, we have to, once they decide what they want, uh, we have to then just figure out, well, what should it look like? Because there's so many ways to interpret. If I say a 1950s car, well, there's like hundreds of, of cars like that. And, you know, in what sense in terms of the context of uh, fallout, you know, is it pristine? Is it, is it uh, weathered and beat? Is it maybe a hodgepodge of parts, you know? So with any of those things, we have to uh, first develop the visuals uh, or visual development, which is do some paintings and figure out what fits. And we do that because that's the cheapest way to do that. If we have an artist, a 3D artist start building stuff, it'll take them a couple of weeks. And if it's not right, well, then it's a very costly mistake. And now we're behind schedule. So, uh, you know, there'll be times where the writer, uh, John, um, uh, John Gonzalez, uh, who ended up going to work on um, Horizon Dawn or Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon event. Yeah, sorry. I always keep uh, messing up messing up that. I'm sorry, JB, if you <laughs> see this. Uh, <laughs> he's the art director on that project, and I got to meet him uh, at GDC a few years ago. And I always mess awesome, up that, yeah. that title. But anyways, John, oh, uh, yeah. he's a great writer, and but he works in isolation. You know, he's like most art uh, writers. They, they just write stuff, and he's been putting together and but a lot of times he wouldn't loop back with us. So we've already like made these plans and, and 
you know, you'd be like, well, that's, you know, you just approved this concept that Massive Black did. Uh, and that's not kind of how I was picturing uh, um, the, the, uh, this location. And I was like, John, I'm sorry, but like, I mean, I approved that like three weeks ago. We've already started building stuff. Uh, we oh. already have it in the schedule. It's like, what's cheaper to, to or what costs more to change? All the art that we've made? Or you changing a few words in your story? Like, I know you have this idea and you're passionate about it, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to switch that. And then sometimes we would make stuff and it's like, um, yeah, that's not what we're looking for. But in those cases where it will change it because we caught it early enough. So what we would do is we would have uh, reviews every week where the designers uh, working on the individual areas would present to the, the directors on the project what they're working on. And so we would be constantly monitoring things. Uh, and some things we would change in post. So in other words, like just get it in there, make sure it works. And, and once we uh, have it to where you guys are happy, then and this is why I did a lot of the work is I would take a screenshot and then paint over it on how we can change it to fit the aesthetic of everything else so that it's consistent. And that's the thing. Sometimes it's yeah. easier to do it that way than try to force it like and understand how it is at the beginning, especially with the yeah. DLCs. That's how it was. It's like, just grab whatever's in the, in the database and just throw it together. And then uh, yeah. uh, we'll figure out. And if the scope was too big, then we would cut out parts of it. So there was a lot of uh, yeah. things that were cut, you know, just like a, a traditional movie. I think it's like, um, 10 to one is something like the ratio of, of amount of footage that they shoot versus what actually makes it into the film. Yeah. For every like oh, two hours yeah. of things you shoot, you get like five minutes worth. Of footage. Mm -hmm. The more yeah. I learn about movie and game development, the more it's just a miracle that anything gets me. Yes, with the that's process. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. There's a lot of, a lot of collaboration. will uh, some, some uh, compromise, I guess, but uh, yeah. Uh, with your with your uh, designs, is there any um, uh, art pieces or artwork that you try to emulate in your in your own career, and and has any like kind of transferred over to New Vegas that you're kind of trying to emulate in some some ways? Or yeah. So a few years ago, uh, I was working at Rockstar on a project called Agent, and um, one of the things that was um, uh, apparent with that project was. Uh, we were using photos for uh, building our assets and we couldn't always rely on the photos having all the information we needed. So we would have to paint parts of it. And so essentially it's almost like matte painting where, you know, you have to extend the frame out or uh, replace maybe a van was parked in front of a building. And so now you have to paint the rest of the storefront. And it was really frustrating because obviously we can't spend days working on one texture. And so I needed to figure out how do I get faster at painting? Because it's not something I had really done much of. And like I mentioned earlier before, I'd done characters. I painted lots of characters, but I never really painted, you know, buildings and stuff like that. So it was a real big challenge. So, um, uh, and here in this uh, area that we live in, or I live in Laguna beach, uh, there's a lot of plein air painters. Plein air painting is when you paint outside and you do it pretty much in one sitting and um, uh, kind of like uh, the impressionist did years ago. And so I was like, I saw an article. I was like, that's right. These guys 
paint realistically and they're doing it within an hour to two hours, three at the maximum, that's pretty much what I can afford to spend on a texture. So uh, I need to maybe start doing that. And so I started, uh, I bought myself an, an outdoor easel and started going out and painting. And um, I did it with the mindset of like, I'm trying to learn something so I can apply it to the work that I'm doing, but I started to really like it a lot. And um, I didn't do it consistently all the time, but when it came to fallout, uh, I had been working on another open world game at a, the previous studios that in fact, this fallout was the, I think the third or fourth game that I was working on uh, that's open world. And so this is something I had already been doing, which is go paint outside so you can understand what's it, what do things look like when it's early in the morning versus late in the evening versus midday versus uh, when the storm's just coming in versus when it's raining. And uh, so that I started doing that a lot and uh, it became a passion of mine to which I still do quite a bit today. And so uh, when it came time to doing uh, those paint overs uh, and those interiors or exteriors, a lot of times those, ex those exteriors, um, I would do, do those paintings just like I would outside. Uh, but instead of being oil and canvas, it would be uh, in Photoshop on a Cintiq, uh, which uh, a Cintiq is a tablet that you can draw uh, on a, a monitor. And um, uh, you know, that's why those atmospheric effects and uh, attention to color, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors is, is so apparent and so different from fallout is because, uh, at least in my opinion, it's, you had an artist who spent a lot of time, a lot of hours over the years painting outdoors, really analyzing these things and trying to get a, a really good understanding. And I think it also kind of dovetails in with my school background, which was physics. And I was always really interested in optics. Uh, so we learned a lot about how, you know, light behaves uh, through the atmosphere and, and how it uh, manifests itself with color. And I was a photographer uh, initially uh, before I started getting into games. So, you know, all those things accumulated uh, to, to the result that you see in that game. And, and it's still uh, to this day, and now as a concept artist, usually that's what people are uh, hiring me for is because of that aesthetic. Um, in fact, I just did some commercials for uh, the new Call of Duty for the promo with Mountain Dew. And the, the director for that short or that commercial uh, campaign saw some of my paintings, my outdoor paintings. It's like, we really love your sense of color and light. And that's pretty much what we need because we have these assets, but we're just trying to come up with the right tone uh, for the commercial so that it captures that eighties Russia vibe. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a blessing that what I'm passionate about, I can apply at my workplace and it's opened up other opportunities and it's uh, financially been a good thing. Uh, you must be loving all the new hardware of the industry then with all the particle effects and the rays and stuff that really allow you to get realistic with the environment designs. Absolutely. Such the attention to detail that you've been talking about, you like to put in that with yeah, the technology, absolutely. it's all more capable now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with, it's like, crazy because when, rendering. Ooh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, over, over the years I went from, uh, we had 256 colors that we could use. And that's if you were, you know, afforded 
uh, a lot and a texture that was 64 pixels by 64. Uh, and it, but it had to tile with everything. So it was a tile-based game, like a side scroller. And then we had 3D and we we're like, whoa, now we can actually use uh, uh, geometry, but we can only have 400 polygons for the, you know, that prop in the background. Uh, and then, you know, it's just every few years, it just keeps opening up. And I think that's one of the great things is that uh, as it unlocks new features and we can raise the bar of uh, realism and just stylization, you know, for that matter, um, there's always a gap because the, a lot of artists are so focused on technical aspects of it, or perhaps they may be really focused on a certain type of uh, work. Uh, so, uh, what I can contribute isn't necessarily in opposition to what they're doing. It, it sits on top, you know, it just helps them elevate their work to a higher uh, state. And so we, we create a, I think a, a great partnership in a way. So you're not really telling them what they need to do differently. We're just uh, your, your skill sets combined really make a great uh, collaboration, just like say like a three piece uh, band, you know, it's like, you get a real great drummer and a really great bass uh, player uh, and a guitar pl uh, player. It's like, it's, it can be wonderful what they do. The, the sound that they create just with three members in a band. Yeah. It's getting more moving parts in there. Nice with the game design. So you were previously just, um, you were just the internal developer, like you were talking about, but you, you do some more freelance stuff. Now you've worked on movies, commercials and all that. Do you have a favorite medium you've done so far? games, television. Um, I kind of like the commercials and what I like about that. And uh, honestly, uh, most of the time it's for the pitch. So it's just pretty much what I did in games where like, okay, we need to have some images so that the rest of the team knows what to do. And, but what I like about the commercials is they have a, a very uh, specific goal in mind and uh, they tend to have a brief. The brief is just a document that outlines what the director wants to do, and that's what the client will approve. And so you have a, a, a very good uh, roadmap. Um, now in co comparison to uh, game development, we have a game design document, but that tends to be somewhere in the order of like 100 to 200 pages, whereas uh, a commercial uh, brief would be, or even you know, for like a, a film, it's like they may have like maybe five pages at, at most. Mm. So you have a very specific goal and obviously uh, you can achieve the results much sooner. So you that cycle of uh, new project, new people to work with, new challenge, a new uh, problem. Here's a bunch of ideas. Uh, you know, you pick one and then you develop that to uh, completion and then uh, you know, a couple of months later, hey, now you're seeing the commercial on TV and it's pretty exciting in that sense where with game development, you know, it could be probably three to five years before you see the result. Uh, even with film too, it's the same thing. It was like four years after that I worked on the film that I get to see the film. Um, so it can be a bit more exhausting, I think, to uh, on game development or some of these longer um, uh, film projects because... Um, you, you don't get to see that end product uh, at the end as, as quickly. And especially with games, a lot of things do get canned or changed. So the end product may not be anything what like you were originally pitching. Yeah, it might cut out a lot of this. 
favorite stuff. Either they cut out or they had to go in a different direction just because of some other issue. You know, it could be budgeting, it could be uh, technology. So especially like in the early days, like you may have an idea, but once they actually start to try and implement it, they can see performance wise, wow, uh, our engine is just not handling this well. So we're going to have to take a, a detour and try an alternative. Um, that's one of the nice things about film. It's like, that's not necessarily a problem because things are rendered off, uh, offline and then just uh, spliced together. Whereas in a game, it's all happening on the fly. Yeah, building it as you go. Nice, nice. You do working on anything right now with, are you you're at the mills right now? I've been freelancing with the mill on a few projects here and there. Um, if allowed to share. Well, the, 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 the one that just came out just a few weeks ago is uh, a couple spots for um, Call of Duty, uh, what's it, Cold War. And uh, it's a cross promotion with Mountain Dew. So like you get XP points, that kind of thing. I, I can't talk about any of the other stuff because I haven't been posted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of it is you know, a lot of times they do stuff for pitching. So essentially, um, I, I will create images for the director to present to a client or the agency, an ad agency, and uh, they'll use that to, to green light the project to get the funding. So most of the work I do is for pre-production. Um, one of the things I've worked on with Amel, and this was a, a couple of years ago, which you might have seen, or at least most people will be more like, likely to see this than anything else just because it's so much more mainstream is there's a, dra- a drug by, I think it's Pfizer for Chantix, which is for people who are trying to quit smoking. And oh, yeah. uh, there's a turkey. And so the uh, it's slow turkey is the campaign. So essentially, rather than quitting cold turkey, you can s- slowly um, drop your uh, dependency on, on uh, cigarettes. And so it's a CG turkey and that one was one of the few projects where i did pre-production and then uh production work so uh, i helped with the design of that character uh, and uh, did a bunch of drawings and sketches and paintings on you know how the the hands articulate uh the t-pose so the modelers would know like what's the the details on the back versus the front because a lot of times when you do uh, a production painting which is like a a glorified illustration of the character in the setting. Um, they may not have all the information they need once they go into production and everybody's working on it. So uh, after there's been greenlit, which I did with one painting, like now they needed more drawings. So that one was a pretty fun project. And a lot of people would see that one. And I would get uh, messages and uh, from folks be like, hey, I saw this work and I know you worked on it. It's like, that's cool. Uh, whereas a lot of the other stuff is games. And so, you know, it's the smaller uh, demographic, especially with the family. Yeah. Sometimes I forget how much detail goes into a, an addict turkey. <laughs> yeah, right. And you see it on there. Well, awesome. in regards to uh, future projects, Bethesda and Obsidian had a, they had a less than clean break from mm-hmm. one another following that but they've both been purchased by microsoft in the last two years right you think there may be hope for a new vegas sequel that fans want so much and would you be interested in coming back to do it yeah of course i would be i would be honored i'm always open to anything uh, it's always a, a matter of timing if, if it's the right thing and depending on what else is happening but i i try never to say no to any hypothetical so yeah i would always be open for that um 
you know, will there be one, would it be uh, a, uh, Obsidian that works on it? I mean, I don't know, that's, that's hard to say. Uh, I think one thing that people have to understand, and this comes up with a lot of other projects, like this happened with like, um, with the Neverhood, which was like the first project that I worked on. Uh, people were really passionate about that and wanted to see that being developed by uh, the, the original team. Um, is that uh, with all of these intellectual properties, um, they are owned by somebody and usually they're big corporations. And so uh, as time goes on and on, as the corporations get bigger, they want more control. Uh, and so the only reason why uh, some people get to go back to them and work on it again is because of the fans. You know, the fans are passionate. They don't want just a new one. They want the people who worked on that. They want the, the aesthetic of so-and-so, the, the narrative that someone came up with. Um, they want that nostalgia. And uh, that may not always happen uh, because ultimately lawyers get involved and they don't, they're just looking at the bottom line and they're, they're holding their ground. And so at that point, you may be at a, at a impasse where it's just you can't bridge that gap. So, um, yeah, I would love to see that happen. I think it would be awesome, especially as tech keeps advancing. Um, it can make things better sometimes, not always. I think uh, limits and constraints can be a great motivator and uh, factor in design of any type. And uh, just because you can do more doesn't mean it's better. Sometimes less is better. So yeah, fingers crossed that would happen someday. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned that your conversation with Todd Howard, the, the main director over there, Peter, um, was, was uh, hijacked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, yeah, so, you elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah. So looking forward to hearing this. So we used to talk to um, some of the leads. Uh, we would have a weekly meeting or every two weeks we would have a meeting with Bethesda, but it was ma mainly the producers. Um, and so I never got to talk to Todd Howard. I don't think he ever sat on one of those meetings, or at least he never announced that he was there. Um, but at the very end, uh, they had the launch party in Vegas, and I was pretty stoked because they, uh, Bethesda, that, that is, uh, sent me and my wife an invite. So they flew us out to Vegas, put us up at the Palms. Uh, yeah. They had a big launch party there uh, with uh, Vampire Weekend as the headliner. And, uh, you know, uh, all the, the senior folks from Bethesda made it out as well, uh, including Todd Howard. Uh, now, G4, which was a show, uh, or sorry, uh, a network uh, station on cable that focused on games. Um, they did a big, um, a big uh, episode uh, for, I think it's attack of the show. I forget um, uh, the name exactly, but uh, Morgan Webb, uh, who was one of the hosts, she came out and did a bunch of interviews with all the, the leads on the project. And, um, so when we were talking before our recording session, she was telling me that uh, one of her best friends at the show, uh, who's a, a producer, it was a, it or is a huge Skull Monkeys fan. And that's one of the games that we did at the, at the Neverhood for uh, DreamWorks Interactive. So she wanted to, she wanted to get that message to me. 
And I think she wanted something like, you know, is there anything that, you know, like a photo? And so I happen to have a sculpture of Clayman, uh, our, our main character. Uh, but yeah, she, when she found out that she was going to be interviewing me, she was like, oh, you need to talk to him about uh, skull monkeys. I'm a huge fan, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, you know, a year later, we're at, uh, at uh, the after after party and Todd Howard comes over to say hi, you know, because we've never talked and he just, so we're talking and he's, you know, saying he thought I did a great job and I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And so, you know, obviously he's, he's a big guy in the industry and so it was a, a great uh, opportunity to, to talk to him and kind of learn as much as I could in a few moments without like, uh, ambushing him or, or, uh, you know, corralling him. And, um, what I didn't know was the, uh, one of the producers from Bethesda, um, told this executive producer from a, uh, G4, the crazy, uh, fan of skull monkeys that I was there. And it's like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll point you out to him. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a one-on-one -on -one with Todd, you know, we're just having a really cool conversation and all of a sudden, like out of left field, uh, this drunk girl, which is gorgeous. <laughs> <in>. Oh no. <laughs> and she, she, she pretty much just cock blocked him, you know, just like, and just kind of like, pushed him aside. <laughs> wow. And it's, it was kind of a funny scene because um, Todd Howard is not a, a big guy. He's kind of a small guy. And she was a, a, she's not a big girl, but you know, she's, you know, a normal sized girl, but like, you know, pretty hammered by this point. Cause it's like two o'clock in the morning after, you know, two parties. And, um, and yeah, she just pushes him out of the side. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, Oh my God, I got to meet you. Like I'm such a huge fan of skull monkeys. So I thought it was just hilarious for two points and, you know, or two reasons. Like, one, because she just pushed aside like one of the, the biggest, you know, uh, influencers in games and uh, creatives. <laughs> and, but also it's like, okay, Skull Monkeys was not a very commercially successful project. You know, <laughs> like I think it maybe sold 40,000 copies, you know, in total, you know, but it has a huge cult following. And I thought it was hilarious that this producer, um, at, at this fancy uh, after party, we have a VIP section. I, I think it's called Ka or something like that. It's it's like a super hard club to get into, but you know, it's the weirdest setting at the weirdest time to be talking about Skull Monkeys, which is one of the, probably <laughs> the nerdiest eclectic games out there. And she's super hammered and just in my face. And you would think, <laughs> I don't know, it was just so surreal. It's like, what is going on? And why is this girl so crazy about it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> And, and why did she just ruin my moment? So I'm like trying to be cool about it, but like, you know, I'm like, where's Todd? Like, I'm trying to see like, can he, can he come back in? And I'm just looking around like, is there anybody here who can kind of save me from this situation? Cause I can't just walk away from her or say like, get out of my face. Like I'm trying to be nice. Obviously she's a, a producer at a, at a, at a network show. And so I was like, I, and so it, it kind of ruined the moment. I did. That was the last time I saw him. He, I think after that, he, he laughed, so I never got an opportunity to go talk to oh. him again. Oh, yeah. The Dang. burdens of fame. You got counter fanboyed on. Yeah. <laughs> there you go with Todd, and there here comes a producer. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's, fun. that's funny. <laughs> All right. Before my before my poor man's Zoom runs out, I got a spitfire round for you. Okay. 
Yeah. All right. So you say you weren't a big gamer, but you obviously know a lot about the development cycle, uh, as well as, you know, the movies and the other shows you've worked on. Do you have a favorite, not to work on, but to consume? Game, TV show? What's your, what's the fave? Oh, well, I was I was crazy over uh, Zelda's Breath of, of the Wild. Uh, I Yeah, I played it like, like uh, I couldn't stop. I was so addicted to it. And it, it hit all those things that I was always looking for in an open world game. And of course, you know, having been a developer of that kind of genre, it was always interesting to see how they tackle certain problems. Uh, in terms of uh, TV shows, yeah, I've been going through Hulu's, you know, just binging on, on a lot of things. Uh, one I'm really crazy about right now that I'm uh, not firing through, I kind of savor each one is um, what we do in the shadows. Uh, I think it's That's hilarious. So oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taika Waititi is Taika Waititi, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a director. Yeah. So what a show. That one's really funny. It's such dry, so dry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll dry humor. Fun. He's a weird dude. Hopefully Todd Howard isn't listening to this and he wasn't waiting for you to say like Skyrim fifth oh, right. edition oh, release or something. So sorry for ruining that for you. <laughs> Yeah. I think unfortunately people have to understand it's like as a game developer, you know, you're so focused on work, you know, it's most projects that I've worked on, you're working sixty hours a week. So, uh, you know, and as an artist, you know, especially one who's trying to keep up with the advancements and just improve, uh, you know, there's, there's two ways I can go. I could sink time in, in a TV show, uh, binging on something or a video game, just grinding like in World of Warcraft, or I could be out painting and studying and learning some new software. And so you kind of have to do that. So there really isn't much time for games. Uh, I hate to say it, and it's maybe not the best thing to say, but most game developers aren't that heavy develop, uh, in terms of game players, with one exception, and that is uh, um, entry-level and mid-level uh, game designers and, and some uh, uh, creative directors. But that's because they are game designers. That is their craft. But if you're an engineer, if you're uh, an artist, probably you're not a big-time gamer. It's the same thing with... Um, with film and commercials like you know you get hired because you're you excel at something not because you're a big fan of something you know so you're not being hired because you know how uh something is filmed you're being hired because you can paint a scene and the lighting is just phenomenal and that's a value to them not that you have seen all the episodes of such and such show you know they don't oh, care right, about that yeah. stuff yeah yeah. Or, yeah back to that moving piece another cog in the in the wheel uh, yeah that's just again how it's a miracle anything gets made you get so many people from so many different backgrounds and skill sets and somehow put it all together right. into a cohesive product that's wild nice all right if you had to choose science fiction or fantasy i think i would do uh science fiction because uh you have so many different um uh epics uh, or uh periods that you could um you could pick, you know, you could go, you know, thousands and thousands, millions of years in the future, or it could be just 50 years from now. And like I was saying before, it's like there's a part that's unknown that you can you can put your spin on and who's to challenge it, you know. That's right, yeah. Who's, who's to say that wouldn't be in the future, right? Yeah. A lot more creativity Especially that way. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right, big question. Who would win in a fight between a moose and a hippo? 
between a moose and a hippo? I would say hippos. Hippos are uh, notoriously the one of the most violent and aggressive uh, uh, animals. They kill more people than than any other animal, uh, and uh, they they don't care. You know, it's like whereas a moose, like they used to get chased off of cliffs, you know, because they get, would get spooked <laughs> by stuff. So I'm 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 going with the the hippo. Solid answer. Plus, that's they got really lower helpful. center of gravity too, so that's always an advantage in jujitsu and yeah, right. MMA. So, yeah, uh, any art piece in the world throughout history, or even your own art piece, what's your what's your favorite so far? Oh, that's a very tough one. Um, I think uh, it's it wasn't until more recently, a few years ago. So there's an artist named uh, John Sicker Sargent, and he wasn't uh, necessarily a popular figure in the art world because he came about at a time when uh, modern art was starting to really rise. So the being realistic was not uh, a, a, uh, a positive quality to have. And I hadn't seen uh, any of his paintings in life, uh, but one time I went to the Arm & Hammer Museum in LA and I walked into the, one of the uh, rooms and one of his paintings was on the far side. And it was, it was an eerie feeling because you walked in and you're like, whoa, uh, whoa, for two reasons. It seemed like someone was standing in a doorway that was way up higher up without the staircase leading into the room. And I was like, what the hell? And then I realized, no, it's a painting. And uh, it's a famous portrait of Dr. Pucci, I think is his name. It, it, if you ever see it, it's a, he's a guy, a uh, good looking guy wearing this, uh, cadmium red um, uh, robe and it's striking uh, not just uh, at first but as you get closer and closer then you realize uh, how much he could do with very little and what I mean by that is a one single brush stroke with that he could get something to look like a finger and it looks super real and um yeah, he's one of those artists that is an artist artist and he's influenced my work quite a bit. And especially oh, wow. for a concept artist, that makes a lot of sense because you're not going to go render lace or things because you don't have that kind of time. But he was able to do these paintings with very loose brush strokes. In other words, with very few brush strokes and he could make something look like hair, like, uh, like lace, like all sorts of things. And uh, But as you get closer, you realize like, there's almost nothing there. That's not a finger. It's like, then you pull back. It's like, yes, that's a finger. Or that's a, a, a beautiful uh, woman's face. Uh, so yeah, it was one of those where I, I was looking at it time and time again, obviously there's also like Van Gogh is another one where you walk into a room and it's like, boom, it just screams out like, uh, like a gorgeous lady in, in, in a bar. It's like, you know, they, they just pop out and like make everybody else look ugly. And so that's kind of like Van Gogh's work uh, for me. Amazing. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's the first I've heard of that artist. Yeah. I'll also check him out. A, a realistic modern take. It's awesome. And our, uh, our little fallout episode here, as well as all of our episodes for the month of December have been 2020 themed. Mm -hmm. They're all apocalypse related. Yeah. Uh, and as we go through those scenarios, what is your prediction? What's your ideal apocalypse for for the rest of December? <laughs> how do you think? How do you think 2020 is going to end? We, uh, I think 2020 is going to end uh, where you know people are hunkered down. They're 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 indoors, um, but they're also appreciating the the little things. Um, 
realizing that you don't have to go somewhere to to enjoy uh, a good moment. Um, that's been my uh, situation, at least. Um, you know, I've been able to just work off of photos and do paintings uh, off of that. And uh, whereas normally I would rely on going outdoors to paint and it's helped my work. So uh, I don't know, I don't think that's necessarily a post-apocalyptic, a grim, grim version of that. Uh, and I hope it's not because I, I know a lot of people are very uh, exhausted from being in isolation. But, uh, you know, one thing I think is going to happen is that people are going to realize, you know, you don't have to live in uh, crazy destination or location uh, you can live anywhere now you know especially with a lot of these work from home programs like I'm hearing this time uh, from different folks it's like there's you know they're realizing well I don't have to live in this city because now I can live anywhere so if you can live anywhere and and uh, have uh, more liberties then where would you live and so um, I think it kind of relates almost like to, to falls. Like, you know, some people are happy living in the vault. Like this is, they don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> Others are like, yeah, I need to go somewhere. And some will find a spot where it's like, this is, this is our new destination. We could have lived anywhere. We didn't have to be confined to one spot. So this is where I chose to live. And others are like nomads. They just keep moving around time and time again. Like they don't stay one place. So hopefully, uh, it'll end on a positive note. That's I'm, at least the, that's the way I'm looking yeah. at it. Well, that's a great, yeah, it's a great way to look at it, more hopeful tone and uh, yeah, kind of not taking for granted things that we have available. So it's, yeah, it's very, very great answer, actually. My answer was, was dragons, but that, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do that one. Sure, sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joe. We appreciate you talking on our podcast and whatnot yes thank you so much for coming on and talking shop on development illustration and fallout really looking forward to seeing what comes next for you and i do hope daddy todd blesses us with a sequel for new vegas something you can work on <laughs> if you guys want to check out joe's work you can check out his concepts and sketches on his website josephsonabria.com or check out his social media at joseph a Sinabria on twitter or just joseph Sinabria on instagram we'll have links to all his stuff in the description Thanks to everyone for tuning in to this special episode. We had a lot of fun making it. We certainly learned a lot. Hope you did too. We want to have more episodes like this, so if you know any knowledgeable industry insiders who would be interested in stepping in the cage with the boys, or just want more episodes like this, let us know on social media. We have a new Facebook group where you can start discussions, chat with the boys. Isaac refreshes it every 45 seconds waiting for someone to bring up Star Wars lore, so be sure to hit us up. (laughs) Thanks again so much for listening, and we will see you all next week.